We're kind of in a little drop-down series as we've been going through the book of Genesis about origins and kind of seeing foundational truths that were established from the very beginning, the book of Genesis, and we've kind of dropped into a, a little deeper dive into a couple subjects last week and this week. This week we're going to be talking about biblical sexuality. And there's a lot that needs to be said in this area. It actually, when you think about the area of sexuality, it really crosses lots and lots of areas in terms of who we are and how we relate to one another, how we relate to marriage, how we relate to uh, our physical sexual lives, all kinds of things that it touches on. And we won't dive into all those subjects, but we will, we're going to drop into a number of those things. And uh, if I've I will mention it again probably, but we're, uh, we're excited that we're doing a Grace at the Table both last week and this week because we, there's just so much practical questions and, and applications that, that, uh, that I think are really going to be helpful to you. And those are going to be a resource to you in, in the days to come. Perhaps, you know, you're not going to be able to watch that uh, this afternoon at 1 o'clock, but, uh, but sometime in the future that may be a resource for you to be aware of so you can um, drop into that. So we're going to be looking somewhat from Genesis 1 and 2, but actually because this, this topic crosses so many other topics throughout the Scriptures, this is going to be a little bit unique in that normally you know, we take a text and we just want to work from that text predominantly for the time. But because of the, the span of this issue, I'll be dropping into a lot of things. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to that, in, in, to the Scriptures as we talk about them. Also, most of them will be on your screen as well. And if I haven't greeted those who are watching online or who, those who you weren't able to watch it during this time, so uh, welcome to you as well, and I'm glad you're here with us today. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your wisdom and your wonderful creation, your wonderful design. As the years go by and as we get to see more of the, the wonder of your creation and the, the depth of understanding that you have and the way that you design uh, this earth, it gives us a sense of awe of the God that we have this privilege of speaking with. And Lord, we know that living in a broken world, living in a fallen world, Lord, living with our own temptations and desires and difficulties and influences in our lives, Lord, we are aware of our great need of your truth and your uh, power to live in ways that bring honor and glory to you and to your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that for each one of us that we would... Uh, be attentive to your truth, that you would speak to each one of us, that if there's things that are helpful to us, help us to grab hold of those so that we might believe truth that would transform our lives and the lives of those around us. Pray for wisdom for myself as to just touch where you want me to touch and speak to what you want me to speak to. And uh, I pray that you would guide our time together, that our ears would be sensitive, the eyes of our hearts would be watching, and that you would use this time for your kingdom purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is Herman. Got a picture of Herman there. Herman, one day, he was out driving on the highway, and as he was driving along, he gets this call from Ethel. 
And Ethel's talking to him. She says, he says, Herman, Herman, I'm so, I'm so disturbed. He said, Herman, I just heard on the radio that there's a crazy man on Route 90 and he's driving along. He says, yeah, I, I know. And in fact, there's not just one, there's, there's hundreds of them. Herman doesn't try to hurt anybody. Herman's not, uh, he's pro- I'm sure he's a really great guy. He's out just doing his own thing, doing following his own way. But he's going the wrong way. He's going the wrong way on the highway. And it's his choices that hurt him or could hurt others as well. Uh, this is going to date me a little bit. kind of reminds me of this guy. Yeah. Notice which way he's going on the highway. And Mr. Magoo, he's a likable guy. But he's kind of deluded, he's kind of deceived, and he really should not be on the road driving. And in the, the area of sexuality, the reality is that many of us have gone the wrong way. In fact, maybe perhaps for some of us, we're still going the wrong way. And whether that's intentional or whether that's uh, unintentional, it's affecting us. It's affecting our lives, and it's affecting the glory of God. And without God's help, going the wrong way is going to hurt others. It's going to hurt ourselves. We've seen from the news and the broadcast and you know that it's hurt the church worldwide. This area of sexuality is hurting and is undermining the gospel and God's name. But, you know, as we sang today so many of these songs, put our, our eyes on God to see that there's nothing that God can't do. There's no challenge in our lives or the lives around us that God can't work in those situations and bring about a glory for himself. And our creator has left us with hope. Uh, the big idea that I'd like you to come away with today as we kind of look at our texts and various texts together is this. Left to ourselves, we'll go astray. But receiving God's word clarifies the true way. Left to ourselves, we'll go astray. Back in 2018, in the, in the summertime of that time, we studied through the book of Judges. And the book of Judges shows us what happens when every man does what's right in their own eyes. There's chaos, there's destruction, there's futility, there's twistedness and perversions. Left to ourselves, we'll be like the judges. We'll go astray, but receiving God's word clarifies the true way for us. God has given us kindly, God has given us graciously his truth and his words so we can know how he wants us to live our lives. And that is from his word, the scriptures. And so let's take some time. We're going to dip into God's design, God's purpose, some corrective things, and also God's provision. So let's start with see God's design. We'll look back at a familiar text that we've been looking at. Genesis 1, verse 27, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
You know, three times here in this, just this one verse, it talks about God as the creator three times. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's, there's definitely an emphasis that this text is most to make in, in, in our minds, that the creation was by God and for God. He's our designer, and that makes him our owner. Uh, last year, I was listening to some audiobooks. I listened to uh, the biography of Steve Jobs, one of the co-founders of Apple. And if you read about who Steve Jobs is, you'll see that he cares about what he creates, and he wants it to be the way he created it. And he wants to, he wants to manage the processes and even the boxes you, that you get those uh, Apple phones in. And currently, I'm, I'm listening to an audiobook on Elon Musk, the founder before he changed its name to PayPal, Tesla, SpaceX, many other ventures he was in. And there's a consistent theme of this guy who's a creator, a designer, that he has a plan. He has a specific thing that he wants. He has a way that he wants it uh, done and used and orchestrated. And how much more the one who said, I created man, I created man and women. How much more should we pay attention to his design and his plan that he gives to us? It says male and female, they together were, the, were to reflect the image of God. So God has a vested interest in our sexuality. God has a vested interest in how we go about living out this reflection, this image that God wants to be seen through us. And then we see his design in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says this, Then the Lord said, It's not good for the man that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. We see God's design here in so many ways. First of all, he, he recognized it wasn't good that this man was alone. And so he said he was going to make a helper, a helper for him. Now, a lot of times people don't like that role or that thought about being a helper. But, you know, that's one of the names of God. In many ways, that's the name of God. You know, the, the Holy Spirit said that the Holy Spirit, the helper, is going to come and he's going to be with you. In the Old Testament, the idea of a helper is used 21 times in the Old Testament. Fifteen of those times, the helper is God. God is the helper of us. And so God was looking to create something about his image when he said, I'm going to give man a helper and it says that this helper i'm going to make a helper who's fit for him and the idea of fit here has the idea of not the same but corresponding to and complementing so god says it's not good for man to be alone i'm going to make him a helper fit for him and then what he did, he, he took a rib from the man. It says, in the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And there's a lot of speculation as to what this is about. 
it seems from the New Testament that, you know, the idea is literally he took the rib and, he, and she was made out of the rib because it says that in the New Testament, that woman was made out of man. But this word rib is kind of an interesting thing. It, the Arab word at the, at the time, it means side, and it was used for the idea of a close friend, like someone's your, it's say, well, he's my rib. You know, that means he's close. Sometimes we say, uh, she's my better half, and shows the closeness. And it goes on from there. The, Sumer- the Sumerian idea is that the word for rib is T, and it means rib, but it also means the word life. It means the word life. And it's interesting that Eve means the mother of the living. And so he created someone to give him life, a helper, a companion to be with the man. And it says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Uh, St. Augustine felt that this idea of the bone of my bones shows the strength and flesh of my flesh shows the softening and the place of the rib is to protect is to protect the, the inner uh, organs of the body. Matthew Henry, uh, speaking of Thomas Aquinas, said this, and you've probably heard this one before, God did not make the woman out of, their head, out of the head, lest she rule, nor out of the feet, lest she be trampled on by him, but by his side as an equal, under his arm to be protected, near his heart because she's loved. That's the positioning. When God brought someone to be with this man, this is a reflection of his heart and mind. It says she'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. It's, man is the word ish, ish, and man is isha, and woman is isha. She was taken from the man. And when you look at this, and the writers and the commentators are saying it's building the case that they're really of the same. They're really of the same, but they're different. And so he's trying to show this, that they, they come from the same material, so to speak, but they're not the same. They complement. Then in verse 24, it says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Again, this is the design of the Creator. This is how He intended the becoming of one flesh together, the consummation, the, the joining sexually and physically and, and, and soul and mind and relationship and all those things. This is how God pictured this should happen. He said, first of all, the man is going to leave. He's going to leave the family unit that was once his. He's no longer going to be, in one sense, part of that family. He will always be a part of the family, but he's going to leave the mother and father before he holds fast to his wife. Before he cleaves to her, There's a breaking and a leaving so that he can hold fast to his wife and then they'll become one flesh. Then they will become one flesh. 
that was always God's intention. Unfortunately, with the coming of things like birth control and so forth, that wasn't viewed as so important any longer. Instead of representing something that's going to speak to and about the image of God and the glory of God, we've kind of found a way to kind of find our own way, find our own pleasures. But when the designer's ways are followed, this leaving of a family so that we can cleave and become a new family together, and then the joining together as one flesh. In that context, it says the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed because there's a vulnerability there with the trust, with the love, with the commitment and the bond that was made, the freedom in that relationship. That was the designer's plan for our sexuality. And Jesus picked it up again, so we know that this was not just an Old Testament thing. Jesus reiterated some of these same things. In Matthew 19, it says, And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall, and the two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no, one, no man separate. And so we see here Jesus is saying, this is from the beginning. From the very beginning of God's plan of his design, this is how he intended it to be. To create them male and female. To say that, this leaving of mother and father, this holding fast, and then the joining together, the one flesh. He says, so therefore, they are no longer two, but they are one, one flesh. They've been joined together in God's way, in God's design, in God's blessing, and that's, you can't change that now. And we know that divorce happens, and this is not meant in any way to make anybody feel guilty because we, we, we know the power of the gospel. We know the power of forgiveness. But from the very beginning, this was the design of God. They're no longer two. You don't drop in and out of this. God's design that there's a united one, yes, physically, but even much more physical than physical, so that the breaking apart of that is a tearing of the soul, is a tearing of the relationships, a tearing of society, a tearing of a family. And he says, they're no longer two, but one flesh. There's permanence there. And therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. What the designer has designed, what designer, the designer has intended, what the creator has created. Let not man separate that. Don't drive the other way. Don't get on another road that's going opposite or contrary to this direction. And as a designer, he gives other instructions 
1 Corinthians 11.3, it says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. God, in his design of sexuality, puts order and roles and authority in place. We won't go into all that at this time. But that was his design. Ephesians chapter 5 says in verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold to his wife, two shall become one flesh. And then he says this. This is the end of after he's talked about uh, Matthew 5 about roles of men and women. He says this. When, when, he says this mystery is profound and I'm saying it refers to Christ and his church. This mystery of how a man is different than a woman, how the roles are, are designated and how they're different. He says, actually what I'm pointing to is something even bigger than you two, even greater than your well-being. There's a mystery here that declares the relationship of Jesus Christ with his bride, the church, his people. That's being, that's being spoken about, that's being demonstrated. And yet, we like to tinker with that, with those roles. <laughs> we like to adjust those things. You know, we like to nullify or make them the same. Let's just make them the same. We want to do away with distinction. But this is God's design. This is God's design. And so we've seen God's design. Let's look at God's purpose here. And again, we'll look at some of the same verses again. But Genesis 2, the Lord said, it's not good for man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Man gave names to the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And by the way, little little side note, little tongue-in-cheek here. Your dog and your cat are not the companion that God was talking about. I know you love your animals. But he had already named all the animals. He says, they're not found. I haven't found the right one yet. I haven't found the right one who's to be the companion here. And we talked about how this is at last. I mean, this is, a, this is his exclamation after he's already, I mean, I can't imagine going around and naming all the animals of the earth. That would be an exhausting thing to do. But then he sees, he's, he's awakened to see Eve. And he goes, this at last, this is at last, is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is it. This is, this is what my soul was longing for and yearning for. They're, they're equal, but they're not the same. They're different, but they're corresponding to one another. And we saw, it said, the man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know, God's designed to give this helper to the man, fit for him. It accomplishes so many things in our lives. Not only the companionship, not only the sexual aspects of, the, of that relationship as well, but you think about the promise and the, and the desire that God had given to, to, to be fruitful and multiply and, and fill the earth. 
This, is, this, was, this just makes sense that God put together these two, this husband and wife. And you think about the blessing that this union brings. And even as we look into communities around us, whether in our cities or in our own families, you know, we see the benefit of a harmonious, loving relationship between a man and a woman who are together with one another. We see the blessing that comes to those children. We see the security that it brings to the family. We see the relationship and the blessing and the comfort and the encouragement and the uh, responsibility and all those things it builds into the husband and wife. We know that when you remove that relationship or you damage that relationship, what it does to society. And so God in his wisdom designed you know, these relationships between husbands and wives. Now, let me acknowledge the elephant in the room. <laughs> there are, I'll talk about singles in a moment here, but there's single parents as well. And God knows the suffering and difficulty and the extra pressures and responsibilities have been laid on you, and God's heart is for you and with you and loves you and cares for you. And we can look through the scriptures and see many, many situations. Even, even the example of Timothy, probably the Apostle Paul's greatest disciple, who was pretty much raised, it seems, that, by his mother and his grandmother in that situation. So this is not to make anyone feel uh, less than or uh, that God hasn't found an amazing way in his creation of the church we have found an abundance of brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers who can come alongside with us and care with us and 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 nurture our lives and nurture our family and i thank god for that when my family moved you know 10 hours away from my closest relatives i did get to see my parents my kids got to see their grandparents maybe three days a, a year but this church were their grandparents. This church were cousins to them, you know, relationships to one another. God has designed the church to be that which fills many of those pictures and roles in, in his kindness, using broken people like us in all of our flaws and all of our weaknesses, we continue to have Christ and his image before us in ways that Give encouragement and help and hope. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, speaking of the purposes, it says, Now concerning the matters which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with, with a woman, but because of the temptation of, to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And so God's design was not for sex outside of marriage. And he says, because, you know, because that's a temptation, that's a difficulty, to most, God's plan is to give you a spouse. To a man, gives a woman. To a woman, he gives a man. And then he goes on speaking. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. 
And so in this context, in God's plan, God's design, God's instruction to us, he's, he's talking about contentment. He's talking about self-control. He's talking about uh, the, the pressure we feel from family, friends, well-meaning to get us remarried or what's wrong with you because you're still not married or whatever those things are. And even in difficult situation, God, God is for preserving the unit, the family unit, even if it, the marriage isn't ideal for you. But actually, God has a very high view of the single life, a very high view of the single life. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 32, it says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And so, for most, the gift of marriage is what God has given to you. And so, you, you have responsibilities. You have concerns. You have people to take care of. You have difficult situations to bear with. You have hospital visits. You have nursing home visits. You know, you have all kinds of challenges before you. And just getting, look, every day we wake up in the, in the Horner household, and we're just trying to figure out the car situation. You know, who gets picked up where, and can we do that? You know. Um, but... The married life, it says here, that they're, they're concerned, they're anxious about worldly things. And that doesn't mean sinfully worldly things. It means just the realities of living in, in society and all the things you got to do. They're distracted with worldly things. And for the man, how to please his wife. For the wife, how to please her husband. How to take care of the kids. And it says your interests are divided. But to the single, there's less anxieties of these things in, the, in this world. And there's easier, more time, less distractions in pursuing the interests of God. And I've had three years almost now since the passing of my wife, and I'll tell you, I've, I've been blessed by the good that's in this single season of my life, however long that is. I've been blessed by it. And so if society tries to mold you into something else that's not consistent with the Word of God, the Word of God has been given to us so that we will not be conformed to the way of this world, the thinking of this world. So we've talked about God's design. We see God's purpose. And let's see a few of his, of his corrections here, a few of his corrections. Colossians chapter 2, verse, starting verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive. Nobody molds you into a different way of thinking than what the Bible says. Because be between our own temptations, our own, our own worldly desires, between the society and family and good, well-meaning people around us, between that and the enemy who's trying to change us and move us away from the way of, that would honor God in his plan, 
there's a pressure there. And it says by, it comes by way of philosophy, which would be so-called intellectualism, and empty deceit. And these would be the, the arrogant, empty arguments, high-sounding nonsense that's all around us in our media, in our programming, in our movies, in our schools, and sometimes passed on by us to one another. See to it that no one takes you captive in those things, he says. According to philosophy and empty seed, according to human traditions, there's traditions that cultures have that make you feel like you're supposed to do something or be something that God is not advocating, God's not pushing. According to the elementary spirits of this world, according to superstitions, religions, such as horoscopes, people are letting their lives be directed by bad roads, bad directions. Not according to Christ. Brothers and sisters, be aware of your media sources. Be, be wary of your entertainment resources, that movies and things that you watch. Be careful. Because we're going to be exhorting, and we keep exhorting you all to speak the truth in love. And even if you think that your source is truth, is it in love? Is it is it representing other people and other, other genders, other you know, individuals with ways that really reflect? This is someone who's been created in the image of God. And how I reason with them, how I talk to them, how I talk about them matters. So I, I can't get into all these things. And by the way, this is why I think we're doing the grace at the table. So you can send your questions in. And let us know questions you have, and we'll do our best to answer those. But errors that need to change would be things like this. You know, inconsistent application of God's standard. M many, many, many years ago, it was shameful or seemed shameful for, for people to have sex outside of marriage, adultery, pornogra you know, pornographic uh, media, living together. And it's almost like, you know, when a, the new subject comes up, whether it be homosexuality or something like that, like, oh, those are the bad people. We need to be careful about that. But the reality is we've kind of grown custom with all kinds of, of sinful things. And they're not quite so bad anymore. So we have this inconsistent application of how do we relate to, how do we treat someone who's caught in a transgression and sin? How do we treat them? And how, how do we weigh out these standards where God says, no, that's, that's sin. That's really just, that's sin. This is sin and that's sin. You're doing that one and they're doing that one. So it's both wrong. Self-righteous attitudes towards sinners. You know, sometimes when Jesus, when Jesus would be, was accused of hanging out with these sinners and these tax collectors and they were drawing near to be with him. And he was eating with them and drinking with them and going to some of their parties even. You know, It was the Pharisees that were attacking. It was the Pharisees, the self-righteous ones, 
who were, were, were looking down on those sinners. And the woman caught in adultery. John 8, Jesus says, he's, all these people are angry with her, thought he needed, let's execute some justice on this person because they were caught in the very act of, of adultery, although her partner didn't, wasn't brought to that circle. And Jesus just got down and started writing in the dirt, and we don't know what he wrote. Some people think he was writing some of their names, some of the, things, some of the sinful things that they had done that he knew, and he was writing those things down, and they just left one by one. Because he, he said, Whoever, whoever's without sin, let them cast the first stone. Sex is being downgraded to just twisted perversions that get more and more grotesque or more and more selfish or more and more uh, violent or more and more because our lusts are not satisfied. And it's sex can be self-focused. But you look at the Song of Sol- Solomon, the Song of Psalms, a book of the Bible, talking about the beautiful relationship. Very, very personal, very intimate in many ways, but, but highly regarded, highly exalted, beautifully written. Biblical sexuality has also been infected in how we view our roles. Roles are today are, are, are confused or they're eliminated. Sexual preference has become a human rights issue. Singleness is not honored. My rights, my choice, my desires, you know, my sexual choice becomes an idols, idolatrous in our lives. What was good, what was very good, has become twisted, has become an idol in people's lives. Sexual practice is justified by free will and, and forgiveness even. You're like, oh, well, I know that it's bad, I'm doing this, but I know God will forgive me. And so men and women, God's correcting, uh, doesn't want us to think this way. He doesn't want us to continue this way. He wants us to think differently. He drops into many, many other things. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, it says, you should not commit adultery. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, even if you're doing that in your heart, that matters. That's adultery. It's in your heart. Leviticus 18, 22 says, you shall not lie with a man, with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. It's an abomination, he says. And we could look at Romans 1, verses 24 to 27, where he talks more about homosexuality. You could go to the whole chapter of Leviticus 18 and go through all kinds of sex outside of marriage that God says, you can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. I mean, you read that list every while and think, really, do people think that's okay? Yeah. The list just keeps going on, you know. And that was never the designer's design. That was never his plan. And he wasn't setting this up in order to be restrictive or to keep something back from us. It's because he knew this is the way it would bring the greatest joy and blessing and freedom and satisfaction with no shame. That was God's plan 
for his people. Paul's exhortation positively stated would be things like this. Ephesians 5, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You know, how you live out your sexuality or how you don't, that's your fragrant aroma to God. Did you ever think about that? How you live out your sexuality, that that's an offering to God. Lord, receive this for your glory. And it's a sacrifice to God. It's, it's not that it's easy. No sacrifice, you know, that doesn't cost you anything is really a sacrifice. And so, yeah, does it mean that there will be waiting or saying no to things? Absolutely, because that's what sacrifice looks like. That's what it is. And then he goes on, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. The unfruitful works of darkness. You know, what are we like when no one sees, when no one's there? And how, how, how am I being a, a salty believer in whatever context I'm? How am I, how am I an image bearer that points people to God? How am I preserving the culture? How am I bringing light even to expose that which is destroying marriages and families and singles and women and men? How am I exposing that in a way that's appropriate and, a, and, and useful to the master? Then it goes on in Ephesians 5, verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Can you, can you imagine that being our testimony someday? I mean, it's, the very fact that he exhorts him to this means somehow this is possible that sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness wouldn't even be named among us as is proper amongst us. Like, this, is like, this is like the bar that we should all, we should have this in our lives. You know, so even to, to have this the way we live out, I mean, that, that, that jumps me up thinking, wow, Lord, we can grow. I can grow. I need to grow. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And, you know, usually my antenna is up on this one because when I hear people talk about their spouse and I hear them talking in a way that, that tears down what God has said is beautiful, what God has said is uniquely the woman, uniquely the man, when people are tearing that down, when people are, are using crudeness and jokes and things like that at the expense of the glory of God and the image of God, that bothers me. Now, I have my own issues, so, you know. But let me, let me encourage you to be careful how you joke about 
others, others of the same sex, different sex, sexual differences, how you talk about that situation. Because if it's really a true situation and it really bothers you, you should talk with them directly about that. And if it's just, you know, just trying to take advantage of you know, mocking or something like that, make sure that that isn't digging into who they, who they are before God. For you can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, which is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. So let me ask you this. Remember this guy here? You might be likable. You might be doing what everybody else is doing. You may not be trying to hurt anyone. But you're heading the wrong way. You may be heading the wrong way. And maybe you've already crashed. Maybe you've already, you're experiencing the consequences of not following the designer's pattern, his plans. And what I would urge you to do is, is repent, is what the Bible calls it. And repentance means you're gonna ch we're going to change our mind. I'm not going to think the same way. I'm not going, to, not going to be the same person any longer. I'm not going to hold on to this any longer. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to repent by changing my mind. And by God's help and by God's grace, I'm going to change the way I act, the way I think, the way I talk. Because I think... If we don't repent, we'll very easily slide right back into the easier and acceptable socially and ways that people think and talk. It'll just suck us right back into that. But if we see the glory of God's creation and his design, and we see his purposes that, are, that really are, are the best for us and for our, for our families, for our, our nation, for our society, for our world, if we agree with God, there's great blessing to be had, even in our struggles, even in these years where we are seeking to be something that we, we haven't gotten to yet. Worship team, if you'll come. So, we've talked about <clears throat> having seen God's design, his purpose, heard some of his correction. God offers forgiveness and power to us. Romans 8, starting verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the, on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So the battleground is how you're thinking. And the put on for this is by the Holy Spirit working in us. He takes the Word of God and He begins working. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. If you want life, if you want peace in your soul, then our mind needs to be on God's truth and his word. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. How do I know what my mind is like? Well, if I'm not submitting to God and I'm hostile, 
about those things, if I'm battling those things and trying to excuse myself in those things, I'm probably letting the flesh have more control. Colossians 2 says, Therefore, as you've received Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You see, how do we, what is, what is our, our provision for these areas? It's the gospel. It's how, just the way that you receive Jesus Christ and Lord. Perhaps you've not received Jesus Christ as Lord. Perhaps you've heard about Christianity. Maybe you've heard the message of Christianity, but you've not believed the message of Christianity. You see, you were helpless. We are helpless without a Savior. Our sin had earned for us an eternal judgment for our sin. And maybe some of those things are very fresh in your mind, how you've fallen short and how you've sinned and how you know that you're, you're guilty before God. And the first thing we need to do is we need to acknowledge, I'm helpless, Lord. I am helpless. I cannot change my circumstances. I can't make up for what I've done. I need you. I need you as my Savior. Then we surrender to God. Lord, I give, my, I give myself to you. I let go of the control. And you receive a Savior who lived the perfectly sinless life. Jesus, who came on a rescue mission for you and for me to die for my sin, to die for your sin and all your sin. He will exchange his righteousness for your sinfulness. And he died for that, paid for that on the cross. He was buried, he was raised so that we can know that God was satisfied with that. And saying the same way that you receive Jesus as Lord, walk in him. The same way, Lord, in my, even as a Christian now, I am helpless. I need your help. I confess to you my sinfulness. And I surrender to you. Lord, I want you to have your way. I want you to have your way. You've saved me from eternal damnation. You've saved me from hell. Now save me here in this place, in this life. Save me from being entrapped and ensnared by these, these sins in my life, the speech, the actions I take. Fill me and use me, I pray. You say, Greg, you know, it's hard. It's really hard being single. It's really hard with these these desires. It's really hard with, with cravings that I can't satisfy. And I want you to see Romans 8, it says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for his adoption as sons, 
the redemptions of our bodies. Our hope is not ultimately here or in our comforts or even in our pleasures or even in our securities. If it's not in Christ, you're, you're looking to the wrong place. And it, will be, it may be tough for some of us or some of you. But we have a high priest who's gone before us. And he has been tempted in all things as we are, and yet he didn't sin. So he has a heart, a great heart for you, and a great understanding. He is praying for you. He is praying for you. He is working things together for good for you in your situation. And Psalm 139 says, In my frame I was not hidden when I began, I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Whatever you think your orientation is, God was there from the very beginning. He saw your unformed substance. In your book it was written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they're more than the sand. Your God has been there since day one when you were formed. He counted and knows all the days that you've got right now until when he returns for you or you go to him. And those thoughts should be precious to us. So, the big idea, left to ourselves, we'll go astray. But receiving God's word clarifies the true way. God has given us a way to know him, to experience his grace. And so as we close, I'd like us to take a time just to reflect on uh, Jesus making that way for you and for me through the cross. And we're going to take communion here. If you've not been here with us before, we offer communion to anyone who's put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. He's a Savior to you. He's a Savior to you for eternity, and he, may, he wants to be your Savior even now. If you've placed your hope in him as the only way that you can be forgiven for your sins, if you put your trust in him, um, he will respond, and you're welcome to join together with us. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, when communion is described talks about letting a person examine themselves uh, so that when they take these elements, we're taking them in a worthy manner. Otherwise, in one sense, we're eating and drinking judgment ourselves. So I want to take a moment, and I want you to think about your, whatever God has spoken to you about related to sexuality. Perhaps there is a need to repent. Perhaps there is a need to say, Lord, I can't do this. I need your forgiveness. I surrender to you. I, I embrace the fact that you've forgiven me and you're offering yourself to me to be my resource, my power to live a new life. And if you're not, if you're not a Christian, take this time and consider how great a Savior he is for those who put their hope in him. So let's take a moment and just reflect. Is there a need for repentance and turning and faith in Christ.
So as we close today, um, there's very likely someone or some or several of you that would like someone to pray with them. It's been tough. It's been challenging. Maybe these words hit right where you're at and you'd like someone to pray with you or talk to you about how you can know Jesus Christ and the freedom that he gives. And to the rest of you, could I encourage you if God really challenged you in an area and there was an area that you repented in or you feel like God wants you to repent in, could you find a trusted friend or two to tell that to? Because I find that that's going to seal that in a way that's going to make a significant difference. So this week, perhaps even today, uh, find that trusted friend and just say, hey, I just want to let you know, you know, God really worked in my heart today and I wanted to let you know how he's working in there. So we'll see you next week and look forward to having fellowship with you then. Thanks. By the way, there is a, one more thing. There is a, I mentioned it before, today there's a, a grace at the table. We're going to talk about a lot, a lot of practical applications related to sexuality. Catch it on the, new, on the, uh, on the podcast on the, off of our uh, website. So see you at one. Thanks.